Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, and joined as always by Chris Bugay. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you, Rachel? I'm good. I'm so happy. It feels like it's been a while since we podcast recorded, and I just am so happy to see your smiling face. Yes, yes. I, you know, when we don't get to record on a weekly basis, and like when I, a week goes by, I feel like I miss out because there's stories that I need to share with you, and I need to talk to you about them and just say, oh my gosh, you got to imagine what happened today. I can't wait to tell you what happened this week. Yeah. So well, let's dive right in. What's been going on? What stories do you have for me? All right. Well, here's the first one is that I was approached by their job title is called Specialized Instructional Facilitator for Reading. So our school district uh, a few years ago hired these new, created these new job titles and hired a handful of people that their whole focus is to coach other people through reading strategies. And it really was born out of trying to help students with dyslexia and families with students with dyslexia. But they reached out to me and us, the team that I work with, to say, okay, we recognize that there are students that use communication devices and we want to teach them to read too, right? What are the reading strategies that that we should be using with their devices. And we really don't understand the layout of their devices or how devices are used. So we can we just get together and you teach us about the devices and we'll teach you about reading and we will powwow about it. This whole group is meant to help teachers learn how to instruct better with reading. They were really interested in AAC and learning language. And so I got to talk about core vocabulary because some of the the program that they're using is very noun-based, you know? It starts out at a very early level. It's, you know, um, show me the horse, show me the table, you know, that kind of thing. That's at a very early level. Before it gets into actually decoding and all that, it's just recognizing that kids need background knowledge and that you have to teach some things. And so we talked about like the role of the teacher could be there as far as modeling on a device and how what they might say verbally and what they would push on the device as far as giving instructions or modeling. So yes, you might still be, you know, show me the horse, but on the device, you might be saying, show me, you know, so you're modeling show and you're modeling me. And so it was just such a win-win-win situation because, uh, and I was so excited that we didn't have to go out and promote it. People came to us. Like they're starting to recognize that as these devices become more prevalent in the world, yeah, right, we got to teach these kids literacy too. We got to teach these kids how to read and we want to be a part of it. And it's just such an exciting thing. I love that. I just did a consultation today with a student on not using robust AAC. This is a sixth grader. And so high. this kid's receptive language was so high. And I was like, we need to teach this kid how to read. Like, we need to, like, start using literacy. Literally, dear listeners can't see this, but I was using this keyboard with him. I'm holding up a big blue keyboard, like a wireless Bluetooth keyboard. And he did amazing. And it's just like, how? It's just, so I, I share that story to say that I'm so happy that you had that collaboration. And I think more of that needs to happen in the future. And I asked dad who came to the consultation and I'm like, so, you know, how is he as far as reading and literacy? And he's like, I have no idea. I'm like, how, what? Like, and it's just like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, every teacher has said like, oh, we can't assess it. And we don't really know what he knows. And like, no, 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 there's a better way. I'm happier here. Like, let me tell you some things about literacy and AAC. (laughs) 
So, you know, I have a very similar story there is that I got called out to um, observe a student. I don't think I've shared this story yet. In my current role, I am sort of um, the specialist that doesn't work in an individual school anymore. So I work in all the schools and there's my former role, the specialized instructional facilitator for assistive technology. They're the ones who work in the schools directly. But one of them called me out and said, Chris, you got to see this kid with eye gaze. You just got to come see it. And they had gotten a PRC device and they were just trying it with her uh, for like the day or maybe a couple days. Um, but this was the first day they were trying with this girl who is a preschool student. And they put the device in front of her and they weren't using like the Unity system or any sort of uh, AAC really. They were just playing the eye gaze games, right? So the way it's set up is that, uh, you know, there's, there's different ones like like um, you help a, uh, I think it's a, an animal cross a bridge or something like that. And so you look up to watch the animal go over the top bridge and look down to make it go over the bottom bridge, something like that. And one of the games that they have are all of these balloons that float up from the bottom of the screen. And on each of the balloons is a letter. And then in the top left of the screen, another balloon appears like in a little window and the letter uh, is said out loud and the letter matches one of the letters that's on the balloons on the screen, right? So let's say it's like a green S. Well, there's a green S of, of maybe out of a field of four or five other balloons floating around. So the, the girl or the client or the patient or student or whatever looks to the top left, sees the letter is, and then goes and matches it. And it has an auditory cue too. So it's like, find the S, you know? And so she was finding them and they're like, oh my gosh, she knows their letters. And I was like, well, wait a second. Does she know her letters? Because because she's it's like a matching exercise, right? She's just finding, maybe she knows colors, like that color and that color, or maybe that shape, that shape and that shape, and she's matching that way. So we took an index card and we covered the top left-hand side of the, of the screen so that she could only hear the auditory. Now it was, find the F you know, find the G and she was still finding them. And then we were all just like, oh my gosh, she does know her letters. Oh, like, like it was just this exciting moment. Like, yes, yes. Well, we should be teaching you. Let's make a goal right now. We should be teaching you these letter names and where can we go from here? Right. The speech therapist wasn't in the room at that time, but we rushed out and grabbed her like whatever session you're on, forget it. Come over here right now. You know, we're going to write a goal. Uh, we got to see this. You got to see this. And then of course she just, she had been doing the eye gaze for a while and got a little fatigued, but she was still matching and still are still finding the letters based on just the audio it was it was an incredible moment oh I love that and you know it's just a perfect lesson I feel like so often kids rely on these compensatory measures right so I have so many kids with autism and parents are like oh he knows this he knows that and then I'm like wait a second like I feel like you have to kind of be a constant questioner just to make sure, like, we really want to see what a child knows, you know, and, and those visuals are so easy. Like, okay, like, I think they might, you know, maybe she's just matching. But then, of course, you know, you know, changing and morphing the task into something that really assesses, is she actually listening, right? Um, so often I do that. I, I recommend that with parents who... Um, when they're giving directions. So often we give directions and we're gesturing, um, right? Like we say, you know, sit down, but we're pointing to the chair. Um, mm -hmm. So really just being cognizant of those things, taking them back and seeing if I just use auditory only, is the child listening to the language and following through? Um, but it's so great, you know, because uh, I, I, I know you can relate to this. How many times has like a teacher been like, oh, they can't do that. They don't know their letters. They don't, you know, X, Y, Z, fill in the blank. Um, and so it's just so exciting and awesome to see like given the right technology, now we know 
right? Now we know, um, you know, that she knows her letters, which is just, I mean, that's why we do what we do, right? Yeah, for those moments, right? It is fantastic. So now I had another thing happen this week. So I got to present down in Stanton, Virginia. Um, There's a consortium of a bunch of different colleges that uh, got together here in Virginia, and they said, we want to focus on AAC, and they pulled together a bunch of teachers that were already, um, they've already been, most of them had been teaching for three to five years. There were some kind of newbies, like a year or two in, uh, but most of them had already been teaching. It was just an hour and a half presentation. They had a bunch of different speakers lined up, and I was just like, I kicked off the uh, the morning on Saturday, brought the whole family down, and it was great. But what was so exciting about this particular event is that so often I feel like when I'm presenting, especially to to teachers. I feel like I got to talk about core vocabulary. I got to talk about motor planning. I got to talk about aided language input or aided language stimulation and all the kind of basics. But this crew, they already knew. It's like, do I have to talk about core vocabulary? And they're just kind of shaking their heads like, please don't let me sit through another core vocabulary session, you know? Um, And I I still probed them a little bit just to make sure. But the, the crowd seemed to know, you know? And we had some just rich, really good discussions during that hour and a half. Totally kind of went off script and just kind of answered their questions. I didn't really have to even get through all the stuff I was planning to get through because we just had such a great interaction because these were people who were already experienced. And that to me was just a great uh, barometer for maybe where our whole profession is headed. And I don't mean just speech language pathology. I mean uh, special education, education in general, is that AAC is becoming more mainstream. This to me was a step in in a direction of people already knowing what they needed to know. Uh, Now they're diving deeper into uh, more complex situations and they're doing a, a deeper dive into what it means to teach language with AAC and it was just so exciting not to have to do the basics again you know yeah and I think it's really important to kind of just judge your audience right and ask some of those probe questions because there's something worse than sitting in a training where you're like I already know this buddy like not into it and really just serving your audience um, and sometimes I feel like it's hard because you do have those like experts in, in the crowd but you also have the newbies so that's when it's it's challenging because you feel like you have to like cover the basics for the the new people in the in the room, um, but that's awesome. I feel like these are all steps in a really in the right direction in a lot of ways, and um, you know, getting that word out about AAC and making it more commonplace, right? I mean, and yeah. that's where like, I feel like it goes back to the schools too, is like, why are we not teaching this better? Even in just grad school for speech language pathologists, um, you know, that I would love to see some room, there's some room for improvement in there, um, just because it's not even required necessarily in some of these grad programs. But even more so than that, I feel like just making sure that special educators and even regular ed, like regular teachers kind of have just a, like, at least a brief understanding of some basics. Yeah, that actually came up during the session as someone shared a story of how uh, one of their schools that they were working in, a student with a hearing impairment who used sign language was coming into their school. So they started teaching all the kids and all the teachers basic sign. It was like, yes, let's do that for AAC. Like you can you can teach the symbols. You can teach what the student is using or what many of the students are using and kind of make it something that everyone just knows and is part of the, the culture and environment of the school, you know? Exactly. And that's how you foster true acceptance, right? Is like making everybody aware and able to talk to that student. You know, it's like there's nothing more isolating than like only having to talk to, you know, the three people in the school that know how to, you know, use your device, you know? So I feel like there's so many levels to that, but that's, that's awesome. 
Now, I have one more story. You got time for one more story? One more story. Okay. <laughs> so I ended that presentation with the idea that, um, you've heard me talk about this before, coding. I, I want kids who are using AAC devices to learn how to code and uh, use robots, right? We've talked about that before. So tomorrow, and that was kind of my last point during the presentation, but tomorrow uh, in our neck of the woods, there's a conference. Um, so all of our teachers ended today. It was their last day. The first day of summer break for teachers is tomorrow. And for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, our school district has put on a large conference on the first day of summer break where people can just come if they want to come. And it's always packed and it's, there's super energy around it. And I always do uh, multiple presentations. Our whole team is putting like a four tables together where people can come and see all this different stuff laid out on the table of what we do and what we provide and what we coach people through. But I am doing a session on, and there's actually two sessions on it. One of my colleagues is doing it with one of those specialized reading people that I was mentioning on using coding and robots to teach language. So two sessions at this conference on that. And so we're super excited about it. I'll have to come back next time and I have to tell you how it goes because that session is tomorrow, right? Chris, can I come? I want to come to that. I want to learn. Absolutely. Come on over. Get on that plane. <laughs> yeah, just a little short little flight. <laughs> oh, I love that. So Chris, who are we? Who did we interview today? So here's a special thing, Rachel. No interview today. You know who it is? It's you and me and Lucas. Uh, so once upon a time, we recorded something called the Special Apps Update. It was a presentation back in 2018. And it turned out that the presentation really wasn't about apps. It was more about the AAC and the general philosophies behind how you select apps and, and all of that. And just really AAC consideration might be a better title for it. That thing has not been shared publicly, meaning you can go and you can sign up for the course over at exceptionaled.com. This episode is the first half of that presentation. And after you're done listening, you could go over to Exceptional Ed and still sign up and you could uh, take some of the questions and get credit for having participated in the course. We're just giving it to you for free here now. The, the content is free, paying for the test and getting the DEUs, that's something you have to pay for. So this is part one up here next. And then the following week, uh, we'll have another banter and we'll have part two. Awesome. So if you're interested in earning CEUs for our podcast, we're really excited that we can offer that to you. So um, definitely listen to this week's episode and next week. Uh, and then you can just head on over, pay $25 and you can get yourself a CEU certificate saying that you did a CEU course. Um, so we're definitely going to be offering a lot more of those this summer and ongoing for you guys. So Rachel, how does everyone find everything? So we've made it really easy. All you have to do is go to bit.ly backslash tech CEU, and you can find all the CEU courses that we're offering. So if you've listened to one of our podcasts and you want to have the link to go take the quiz, just go to bit.ly backslash tech CEU, and you will find everything we've done. And if you guys haven't already, please join our Facebook group. We have, oh my gosh, I think like over 1,500 people in there now. It's a really great place to ask us questions. Um, there's also really lively discussions going on in there about AAC and how to implement things. And um, I just love our growing community in there. It's really cool to have interactions with you guys because, you know, Chris and I, we come on, we talk every week, but... The coolest part is being able to, you know, interact and answer your questions and um, comment on things that you are finding interesting. So um, just search Talking With Tech and you can join our group. So without further ado, here's the special apps update from 2018.
Hi, I'm Matt Hott, one of the hosts of Speech Science, a weekly podcast bringing you all the information that you can handle related to speech sciences and disabilities. Michelle Wintering, Michael McLeod, and I interview leaders and difference makers in the field. Every Tuesday, we drop a new episode. You can find us on iTunes, Android, and on our website, www.speechscience.org slash speech science podcast. Join us as we try to find the answers to the question. What is communication? Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. I'm CEO and co-founder of Exceptional Ed. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing you this conference. We are here um, with the trio from Talking With Tech. I am super excited for the AAC Apps Update 2018 to um, get updated on what software applications are being recommended and um, best practices for integration and app features that, that they're looking for. So let's get started. And then um, I'm also a former co-founder of YapGuru, which is where I met all of the, the amazing presenters for this conference. And then I also have um, created the Exceptional Mobile Program, which is focused on 21st century learning and having access um, to apps and technology for all students. So let's start with Rachel Madel. Hey guys, I'm really excited that I was invited to be here and I'm a speech language pathologist. I specialize in AAC and then even more specific to that, I also specialize in kids with autism. You know, I have a private practice in Los Angeles and I do a lot of therapy with families of children with autism who are nonverbal, children who are verbal. Um, I got interested in AAC fresh out of grad school. I was working with a little boy who was three years old and he was brilliant. I'll never forget, a teacher pulled out a 48 piece puzzle and this little guy, he did the entire puzzle. He was like placing the, the, the pieces all on the table in what seemed random fashion. And I was just so amazed. And it was, you know, he was completely, it was shocking how great he did with this puzzle but he was completely nonverbal and he didn't have any functional communication. He wasn't able to get his needs met. So because of that, he had a lot of behavioral issues that were coming up. So then of course the teachers put a lot of pressure on me, like fresh out of grad school, I like, didn't know what to do. And they're like, you know, wave your magic wand and make this kid talk. Um, so, you know, I, I racked my brain trying to figure out what to do. I'm like, mm, he likes puzzles. Maybe I should get him to ask for the puzzle pieces. That was like an absolute no. He like threw like the most serious tantrum I've ever seen the first time I tried to touch one of his puzzle pieces. <laughs> so after that, I was like, absolutely not. But he also was obsessed with this little yellow bus. And he used to get into the classroom, carry it around with him. You know, he had like a death grip on this little like toy figurine bus. And so I'm thinking like, well, maybe before he gets in the classroom, we'll put it in like a, you know, Tupperware container and we'll give him a picture. And he has to give the picture to ask for the bus. And, you know, sure enough, eventually after he like threw a few tantrums, he was asking for the bus and with the pictures. And fast forward a few years later, we got him on a high tech device and you know, my only regret is that we didn't start high tech with him sooner because he was so amazing at this, this device. Honestly, I feel like he was teaching me because I had never really worked, you know, with a lot of high tech devices at the time. 
So that was just a really amazing experience for me and really solidified how important it is to have visual support for kids with autism and, you know, not only just verbal or uh, nonverbal kids. Um, I use a lot of AAC with kids who are verbal with autism because they're doing a lot of scripting and a lot of echolalia, um, a lot of comprehension, you know, difficulties. So because of that, I've, I've been doing a lot of AAC. It's become like my passion and specifically with kids with autism. And last year we launched a YouTube channel to help parents because I'm really, really passionate about helping parents. I work very closely with parents in my practice. I do a lot of my therapy in home. And so we're like, you know, how, how can I create resources to help these parents? So we have, we started um, this YouTube channel my website has lots of resources for clinicians too, because clinicians are searching for help working with kids with autism. Um, so that's kind of my story and how I got interested in AAC and kind of what, what I'm up to now. Fantastic. You're super busy, Rachel. I love oh it. My, oh my gosh. So busy. I can like, yeah, barely keep my head on straight. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you for all that you're doing. All right, Chris, Mr. Bouguet. All right. Well, my name is Chris Bouguet, and I am a 19-year vet uh, working in schools. I've always worked in the public schools with a little bit of private practice after school for the first few years, but haven't done that in a while. It's the majority of what I do is working in the school districts. And I, geez, huh, I've done a lot over these last 19 years. Uh, I, I'll start too with Rachel, where one of the things that first intrigued me about AAC is I worked with a student uh, with autism. And I was green, I mean, maybe my first two years. So we're talking, you know, 19, 18 years ago. And I meet this kid and he, he had a, it's called a Tech Talk, 32 cell device with recording on it. Uh, meaning you would record your voice, we get a student to record their voice and record the words. And you would physically move the papers in and out of the slots, right? And they still exist. I'm sure you, if you went to a public school, you'd find a, a Tech Talk 32 or a Tech Speak 32. Anyway, uh, the student would start to hit the buttons and he would not look at us. He would just hit the buttons and he would be able to flip the, the overlays in and out and he would hit the buttons to get a, and he'd turn the knob on the back to make sure he was getting what he wanted to. And he wouldn't even look at the overlay. He'd be looking at us and flipping the buttons and hitting to say ketchup or mustard or goldfish cracker. And, and it just blew my mind. Like he was remembering the sequence of what he had to hit, listening for the auditory cue of, yep, is this the right one? No, nope. is this the right one? Ah, that's the right one. And it just made me really rethink how I'm looking at pictures and how is he looking at pictures and he's not even looking at pictures and all I have ever been taught is about how using pictures. So it really got me interested in AAC. Um, and because of that interest and some other being, having a, being interested in technology, about Three and a half years into my practice in the public schools, they asked me to become one of the founding members of the assistive technology team. And so there were five of us that started the team in our school district, and I was the speech therapist. Uh, there was two occupational therapists and then uh, two other educators. And we turned that team over the years. It has blossomed into being like, uh, more than 10 people. And uh, over those years, it, the, my quest for AAC has continued. And of course, things have changed over the years. And then uh, personally, uh, outside of the school district, I had a great fortune to do all sorts of 
cool stuff in the profession. So I guess first off, I got to write a book with uh, co-author Sally Norton Dar for ISTE, which is the International Society for Technology and Education. And that book is called The Practical and Fun Guide to Assistive Technology in Public Schools. It's the, the book with the orange cover. And the great claim to fame there is that when it first was published by ISTE, there was in their catalog, there was uh, ISTE has all publishes all these books on education and technology and education. And they had uh, their selling wise, there was their book on teaching with Google. And then there was ours for a little while. We were number two right underneath teaching with Google, which was like this small little assistive technology uh, book. But because we wrote it in a fun style that was uh, easy for people to, to read and wasn't boring like it's time to read the textbook today. It was like all sorts of stories with monkeys and robots and, and leprechauns and other other analogies. People sort of took to it. And it was all about developing your policies and procedures for, for how you do assistive technology in your school district. That curtailed into other opportunities like you mentioned Barbara Fernandez and Smarty Ears. Uh, her and I worked together to, and along with Sean Sweeney, if you know him from Speech Techie fame, we put together uh, the AT of Al to Go app. I was the author and Barbara was the developer and uh, Sean coached us along that process. And so that's still being used today. People are still downloading that today. That's a number of years ago that, that we put it together and it still holds up uh, with uh, how to do AT evaluations and assessments. And then uh, kind of fun on the side, I, I do. I did a podcast, been doing a podcast for years now called the AT Tips Cast, which is Assistive Technology Tools in Public Schools cast. And each one of those episodes is uh, some sort of fun way to look at some sort of technology element uh, that is either free or low cost. And, you know, anyone who's ever listened to it can tell you that it's like, sometimes it's, it's me talking about something and sometimes it's scripted where um, I, I get my wife and my kids involved and we do some sort of like audio drama sort of thing. Our Halloween episodes are are known for that. Over the years, it has uh, got a little bit of a following. So if you're a listener to the AT Tips cast, thank you. If you haven't, go check it out. They're all still relevant episodes. Uh, and then most recently, we have the Talking with Tech podcast, which I'll let Lucas talk about it next. The, the last thing most recently for me is a new book. Uh, ISTE approached me again to write a new book on assistive technology in contemporary education. And it's called The New Assistive Tech, Make Learning Awesome for All. And it's it's all about how to do your policies and procedures and consider technology for students, uh, for every student, how it's not necessarily just about students in special education anymore, or how you can look at your practices for students in special education and apply those to everybody, especially with the education and how it's changing. If, if anyone's working in the schools, you've heard of project-based learning and the growth mindset and maker spaces, and it's how does assistive technology fit in this whole new uh, scheme of things? This book is, is meant to guide you along that way. And so that's me. Uh, and I occasionally I get to do presentations on AAC and assistive technology and stuff like that. And luckily I get to work with Rachel and Lucas. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for um, keeping us timely and up to date. Also, it's really hard to do a book. Mr. Stuber. <laughs> I know. I don't know. I don't know where you find the time to write a book. That's incredible. I, I need to do this someday. Although mine's going to be some, some bad, bad novel probably. Well, so my name is Lucas. I got a, what does the slide say about me here? What did I do this time? Oh yeah, I did those things. Um, so I'm, I'm a speech language pathologist as well. We, we made kind of a conscious decision to, to present what would normally be like disclosures for a conference in a, in a narrative format this time. And I'll tell you part of the reason is because, um, and I know you folks that have enrolled for this webinar, you're already engaged. 
But part of the reason is because we really want to um, compel people and SLPs particularly to become specialists in AAC um, because it's, it's incredible. It's so rewarding. Um, you, you learn constantly. You get to see incredible growth. And as because of that, we, we want to share a little bit of you know, the background of, of why we chose to do that. So I actually was a, a computer science major originally um, until the math hit. And I uh, didn't, didn't make it all the way in undergrad, so I switched. Um, I, I was forced to take an elective class in linguistics. I was forced to take an elective, and I, I chose linguistics and immediately fell in love and um, ended up getting my bachelor's and my master's degree in applied linguistics. And in my, my thesis, I, I, I studied um, a, basically a large computational analysis of, of language samples of uh, children diagnosed with schizophrenia and um, found really interesting stuff and was talking to one of my professors about it, and he said, that, that sounds a little bit like Wernicke's aphasia. And I said, Verna, who to what? Um, and so he said, maybe you should look, take a look at SLP, which is um, funny because I, even though I was so steeped in that, the language culture, I mean, it just goes to show how little known SLP can be, right? That I, I was really unaware. So went back to school, you know, got some more debt and, um, and, and became a speech language pathologist. My clinical practicum, uh, one of my first placements, I was working with a young girl with Rett syndrome who had a really not a system that wasn't, um, wasn't well suited for her, put it that way. It was, it was very old, um, really clunky, not uh, really being employed or modeled in the appropriate way. And so we got her updated and I made it sort of a personal mission to, um, to make sure that she got, you know, something new. And the very first time she was using this, um, you know, and this is somebody who before the, I, you know, the sense was that it was unclear whether she had a reliable yes, no. Um, not only was she able to use the system um, proficiently, but she actually navigated down to the start menu and tried to get out of the communication app that we had um, on the Windows computer, which just blew my mind. Um, this is a 17-year-old. Not only to, th to think of the power of sort of what we could build to bring into her life, but also of the tragedy of what she hadn't had, um, you know, for so long prior to that. So that was probably my, I, you know, I've been introduced to AAC prior, but that was where I said, okay, I'm in this, this is my thing. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and it makes me think of this really powerful quote um, from, from Judy Heumann, um, who's, and I'm paraphrasing here, but she said, for, for most of us, technology makes things easier, but for some people, technology makes things possible, right? And that's incredible. Um, you know, so as we talk about this being an apps conference and obviously an apps webinar, I want to emphasize that, um, you know, a lot of what we're going to talk about or what we already have talked about isn't just specific to apps, right? It doesn't have to be a high tech thing, but what's happened in AAC or in assistive technology generally in the last, you know, even, even just 10 years, let alone 50 years has really been incredible. So we're on the cusp of a real potential renaissance, um, in terms of what we can do. So, um, so after graduating, I owned a series of a chain of clinics for some time that specialized in AAC, ended up selling those and working with an Indian development company out of Chennai called Avas, which is Hindi for voice. And so I helped him to create an app called Free Speech, which is available on iOS and also on the Mac store. Avas is also known for having created just the app Avas, which is a, a, you know, an AAC um, app, which is really fantastic. And I, I can't say I had a huge hand in, in that one, but um, I, I recommend it. We'll, we'll chat about it um, a little bit later. So I, I worked on that. Um, in the time since, I've, I've worked mostly as a consultant. Um, I do still see clients locally. And I'm also working with um, a new company that is really intriguing called AAC Live. Um, and I encourage, encourage you to check it out at aaclivenow.com or even shoot me an email. Uh, we can talk about it. Um, what we're trying to do is uh, find a way to provide uh, support in consulting and, and intervention and training um, in really rural areas or places where there are not AAC specialists, both within the United States and um, internationally. 
so that's what I'm up to now. And then uh, met these wonderful folks actually through Mei Ling. We were uh, doing this uh, AAC after work seminar and I watched something Chris did. And I said, this guy he seems to know what he's talking about. This is pretty good. And turns out he, he knows way more than me and he's writing books. So um, this has really been um, uh, just a, a wonderful collaboration. And so um, if you haven't yet, uh, check us out. Um, our podcast is called Talking With Tech. Um, you can find us on, on iTunes or, or wherever else. And we're 20 episodes in, I think. But um, always very geared, always, always under an hour, always geared towards very practical advice um, specific to AAC and also to educational technology. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So impressive um, what the three of you have been doing these past couple of years, growing and moving the whole industry forward. Um, and that podcast is amazing. So the questions that I have, I know that you've touched on and it's going to be really hard to rein in because I know they're big questions. So we're going to see if we can just kind of ask, answer them succinctly, but importantly here. Um, let's start, Luke, if you can give us the history of AAC. This is one of my favorite topics, but I, so normally right here, I start talking about Sumeria and iconography and the development of written language and blah, blah. the fact that shoes are actually really interesting, like human feet changed after shoes were invented and the system technology in a way. The point of all that is just to say that we're all AAC users, right? That's the, the, the crux of the piece there. But I was told that that's a little much, so let's start a little bit later. So I, I would say that um, augmentative and alternative communication, right? So there's there's two words there. There's there's augmentative, right, which is enhancing sort of an, an existing ability or versus alternative, which is supplanting, right? So maybe a, a biological capacity that's either been lost or, or simply was never present. And um, probably what we can point to uh, as, as the earliest example of that that people really would think of is, is sign language, right? Or, or manual language, we could call it more generally. And that was really what was used in, you know, what I guess could be called special education in, you know, the 1800s through the early 1900s. And it really wasn't until the 1960s that um, AAC, as we currently would conceptualize it, was first you know, thought of, really in the form of um, picture exchange systems, not PECs as we think of it now today, but um, iconographic communication. And then what we saw was technology, right? So rather than having the, the printed out icons and the manual signs, all of a sudden in, in you know, the 60s, uh, or late 60s into the 70s, it, basically what happened is a whole bunch of you know, the early computer nerds started to get ALS. And um, said, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to figure out a solution to this or, you know, some, some way to communicate. And that's where we start to see the first examples of like sip and puff, um, you know, interactions, uh, switches, uh, synthesized voice even in the late 70s. And um, I, I did share a link that will be a reference here. I encourage you to check it out. There's some pretty interesting stuff, um, including some really amazing videos of ordering pizza in the, you know, the 1970s using AAC um, that's uh, really enlightening. And then for a little while there, what we had was, I guess what we still have in, you know, obviously for many manufacturers, but the concept of dedicated devices, right? So uh, we would have computer systems, you know, not dissimilar to what Stephen Hawking used until he passed, really, that would be these dedicated PCs that would basically, you know, travel around with people that obviously got a lot smaller and, you know, are pretty compact nowadays. But in 2007, ProLoquo to Go came out, which was the first big app-based AAC solution um, uh, created by David Neuer and Sam Sennett. Uh, and it's, you know, really opened the door to this, uh, you know, as I said, potential renaissance in, um, in the technology. Because now all of a sudden, something that was $10,000 or even as much as $40,000 you know, it can be put onto an iPad, right? Which now I think they're down to 279 was the last thing that I saw. Um, or even Android tablets, right? Especially, uh, you know, I see those deployed really frequently, uh, you know, in the third world or in uh, places that are lower SES. Um, 
So it's um, it's really been revolutionary, and it's it's interesting to be at the stage that we're at right now because now you know we're about ten years after Prola, and um, we've had a massive proliferation of apps, right? So there's there's tons of them. I just was counting, and I think I have like twenty seven AAC apps on just my iPad. But you know, obviously, market forces drive things, and, and things start to clump together, and you get the the clear leaders, which we'll 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 touch on that a little bit later of some of the specific apps that you know we recommend you know, at least as part of your assessment regimen. And then looking forward, it'll be interesting to see what happens because we're on the cusp of another big, big breakthrough, right? With, um, you know, Apple has filed patents for their own uh, eye gaze tracking, for example. Um, all that hardware is already in place. It's really just been, been battery that's been holding us back. So um, I, I think that uh, tablets will increasingly uh, fit the needs of people that otherwise would have had to use, um, you know, a more complicated alternative access program. So uh, this I don't mean any of that to imply a preference of one over the other. There are absolutely um, you know reasons to use dedicated devices, just as there are reasons to use apps. Um, we're we're doing an apps conference, so we're going to talk about apps. Uh, Very informative. <laughs> Great job. Okay, um, so our first question is the big one: AAC apps versus dedicated devices. So, what are your opinions on using a tablet with an AAC app? versus a dedicated device? It's a huge question, and I know we can go in, in so many different directions here, but so do your best, and I'm gonna ask uh, Rachel to start us. Yeah, so I think that when it comes to, am I gonna recommend a dedicated device or a more traditional speech generating device or an app? Um, one of the biggest things for me is access. So if a child's not able to access, um, you know, a lot of these companies, like PRC and, you know, Toby, they do a really good job of, you know, having key guards and touch guides and all of these things. Um, Lucas actually can talk to, to access probably a lot better than I, because, you know, he does a lot of stuff with eye gaze. Um, so that's one of the biggest questions for me is, is there access issues? Because if there are, then I'm probably going to be leaning more towards a dedicated device. I also think that, you know, as Lucas mentioned with the pro proliferation of apps. I mean, there's so many and they're so accessible. Um, you know, it used to be you needed to, you know, write a proposal and get funding and trial and all these things. And that still happens, but you know, you can very quickly just download an app. And I think a lot of the parents that I work with are downloading a lot of these apps and trying things. So I think that, you know, apps can be a faster option in some cases. What do you guys think? Well, one of the things I think when this question gets posed is that I, I, I have this kind of guttural feeling that I don't like the name dedicated device versus AAC app in the first place. It makes people think that, that a, an iPad with, a, with an app can't be dedicated to solely that purpose, you know, but I, I don't have a better way to describe it. What do you call, you know, do you call it an iPad with an app versus a, de a device? Like, so the word dedicated, I think, I think there's implications there to funding though, as well as that, um, this might be somewhere where the funding issues come where people say, well, we're not going to be funding an iPad because you could put other stuff on it. Well, yeah, but I'm, we're not going to put other stuff on it. We're only going to put this AAC app on it. Uh, and they're going to use that AAC app exclusively because this iPad is dedicated to communication. Uh, so that's one of my first thoughts is that maybe as clinicians, we should be thinking about a different name for both of those. But either way, either way, I think something you said there, Rachel, that was really important is that I almost don't think of it as recommendations anymore. I think of it as a team getting together and we discuss what the student needs and that you listed all these great ideas about let's talk about what the student needs. So it's not coming from me necessarily. I just help kind of guide the discussion about, well, 
asking kind of almost playing dumb in some cases. I don't know. Do you think we think it needs to have a hard case in case it gets dropped? I don't know. Do, do you think he needs a key guard on it? I don't know. Do you think it should be locked down with guided access as opposed to it should be locked down or it should, it should definitely have a key guard? And those questions make, uh, I think, help have everyone have some ownership of it. And then together we're making decisions. It's not all about what I think. I like that you brought up guided access. Can you expand on that a little bit more in using guided access with the um, AAC apps? Sure, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. So guided access is a feature of the I, of iOS systems. So it's not something specific to any particular app. It's and uh, allows you to either lock somebody into a particular app or lock parts of an app where you can't access certain buttons. Like you can draw circles or squares or any sort of shape on the screen and lock people out. And there's also a timing feature. So you can say you've been in this app for a certain amount of time and then it shuts down. Um, and so it's called guided access because it's all about providing people access to what they need so they're not distracted or going to other places and doing, getting lost down a rabbit hole where they shouldn't be. Thank you. And I think that's what helps when you're looking at the, the dedicated device in the traditional sense, Chris, um, you know, that this is only being used for communication. Um, what are your opinions on language representation? And so these are some of the big ones. So single meaning pictures, alphabet-based systems, semantic compactions, visual scenes. Again, I know this is a really big topic, but let's try there. Luke, do you want to start there? Sure. Um, just back up one second. I, I just want to vocally agree with Chris about the name. I totally agree <laughs> about Because it. it's true, they should, I mean, dedicated is just the wrong thing. But, I mean, we already are, I mean, our term for this is augmentative and alternative communication, which is really ironically long and cumbersome for something that's supposed to help people communicate. So if anybody has any better ideas, you know, let us know. But not talker. I don't like talker because the person using it is the talker. Um, language representation. So, so there's, <laughs> wow, this is such a big question. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of different approaches to this, right? And a lot of them are, um, you know, oriented around, uh, around a couple of the, the really consequential qu questions around AAC, right? So we need to make sure that we build a system that has embedded meaning to it, right? So just the, the semantic value, like making sure that the, the symbols or whatever we're using as representation, whether that's or orthography, like an alphabet, or if it's icon iconography, that it's something that's salient for the user and, you know, has a real world sort of translation to it, if that makes any sense, a real world corollary. So that's that's the piece number one that we have to think about is, is conveying the meaning. Number two, we have to think about breadth of expression, right? So how many things can someone say? And are the things that they are able to say only those that we have provided to them? Or are they able to, you know, create novel utterances of whatever form? And so for me, then the end goal of any AAC intervention is to get to an alphabet-based functional literacy sort of level where you actually can spell the word love, for example, instead of having to find a heart that maybe ambiguously conveys the concept of love. Um, you know, and then you have access to a whole world, um, you know, of language, uh, receptively and expressively. And then the third thing is um, rate enhancement which is just speed of access, right? So if it's really cumbersome to create an utterance, then that's just a pain, right? It's not very conversational, which is one of the goals really of semantic compaction, which is um, reflected in like the Unity system that's used by LAMP or PRC devices. Uh, I mean, all of this was a result of a study by, um, you know, some, some folks uh, a bit back trying to, trying to figure out what people say and, um, you know, how to say it more quickly. I don't, I, right here, right now, I don't think we're going to solve the question of, of which is best, right? Or what's, what's the highest priority among these things. I think it really depends on clinical judgment and, um, you know, what's most appropriate for the client. 
I also think that, you know, these things go sometimes in stages. So for a kid who is not really understanding, um, you know, icons or iconicity, we might start with something like a visual scene because that makes sense to that child at that given time. Um, but then, you know, like Lucas mentioned, we want to be expanding. We don't want to be stuck, um, you know, with these single meaning photographs or visual scenes because it just doesn't allow kids the opportunity to say what they want to say, how they want to say it, when they want to say it, which is our ultimate goal is to create autonomous, independent communicators. Um, but I think they all connect can serve a purpose um, with specific kids because, it, it, you know, in a given moment, we want a child to be able to communicate their, you know, their most basic wants and needs and have functional language. Um, so I think we have to look at it in kind of twofold. What do they need at that moment, but also what do they need to grow and expand um, and in a system that grows and expands with them, which we can touch on a little bit later. You know, and then I'll throw in the, the last idea that these four things are often presented as you got to pick one. What's the best one? As opposed to you think about how a, a person who speaks, like I'm using my hands right now, I'm nodding, you're, you know, uh, you use all these different forms of communication. Anyone who uses an, uh, who's been a functional user of AAC, who's come out the back end is, and it's actually uh, using it proficiently, uses a, a wider range of, they might have one primary system they use, but then they have alternatives they use as well. So it, someone could be using semantic compaction as their primary system, but then if the system calls for it, they might slit, or the situation calls for it, they might switch over to an alphabet-based system. Absolutely. Well, I, a brilliant AT specialist that I know named Travis Snyder said this thing that I love to quote, which is that we don't need to build an alternative system, we need to build a system of alternatives. Um, you know, for the people using this. And I, I just, I love that. I had to get that in. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And, and yes, that, that is a very big question. So I, I, I thank you guys for kind of just giving a small piece of an answer there. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.